Good evening, church. Before we start, let's just open us up in prayer tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, thank you that we may gather here in your presence uh, by your love uh, in Christ. Um, I pray tonight uh, that as we are in your word, it would be written on our hearts, and in turn, we would give you glory. Uh, I just pray for me tonight, Lord, as I minister the word to the church, uh, that I just be humble and that you would just work through me. In your name we pray. Amen. Tonight we'll be reading from the book of Revelation, chapter 6. This can be found on page 1093 on your pew Bibles. Revelation, chapter 6. Before we dive into the text tonight, I'd like to briefly summarize chapters 1 through 5 of Revelation. Christ is the true author of Revelation, but is written by John, one of the first disciples, and now one of the first apostles of Christ. John writes Revelation from the island of Patmos, indicating he's been exiled by Roman rule for spreading the gospel. In chapters 1 through 3 of Revelation, John states he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day when Christ appeared to him in a vision. Christ instructed him to write seven letters to the seven churches of Asia. Like John, the first churches were struggling under persecution. These letters were written to reveal what will happen in the end times, in the last days before his return, to encourage the churches to endure persecution, resist the devil, and all forms of teachings, uh, false teachings and gospels. In chapters 4 through 5, John is led through a door to heaven where God is seated on the throne. Christ is there on his side and God holds a scroll. Christ is the only one worthy to handle and open the scroll. The scroll has seven seals. When each seal is opened, they introduce seven visions, each describing a form of hardship and judgment that will come on the earth. And this brings us to tonight's text, chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. Then I saw him open the sixth seal. A violent earthquake occurred. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of hair. The entire moon became like blood. The stars of heaven fell to the earth as fig trees, as a fig tree drops its unripe figs when shaken by a high wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved from its place. Then the kings of earth, the nobles, the generals, the rich, the powerful, and every slave and free free person hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, because the great day of the wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Here we have the sixth seal open, and with it brings a preview of the coming destruction of this present earth and the destruction of the first heaven. The main point of this sermon tonight is based on verse 17. And the point is this. The inescapable wrath of God is coming, and who is able to stand? This this verse gives us a statement of truth. The great day of the wrath has come, or in our case, is coming, and also poses a question. Who is able to stand? Meaning, who is able to stand against or before God. We'll go through verses 12 through 16 to understand, clarify this truth, and answer this question. 
In verses 12 through 14, we see the dismantling of the present earth and this life. Starting in verse 12, Then I saw him open the sixth seal. A violent earthquake occurred. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of hair. The entire moon became like blood. The stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its unripe figs when shaken by a high wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved from its place. The events stated here in this text may not literally take place, but the descriptive language used here helps us condition our hearts and minds to have a better understanding of things that are above our comprehension. We wake up every day assuming the earth will be just as it is and will work as it is designed. We make plans and schedule appointments weeks and months out in advance, knowing that those weeks and months will be there. But it's hard to imagine that this will all stop one day. So Christ gives us these words to help us understand just the magnitude of what's going to come when God reveals himself and this earth comes to an end. In verse 12, a violent earthquake announces the arrival of the Lord. So violent that mountains and islands may shift and be moved from their places. We see the basic functions of the earth stop working. The sun, which rises and sets every day and illuminates the earth, becomes like a black sackcloth. This pops like a light bulb. The moon, which comes and goes with the night, turns blood red. Even the stars that hang in the sky, the stars that have always been there, even if we can't see them on some nights, fall out of the sky as if a strong wind were to blow them away. Our solar system, which hangs in a delicate balance, is completely torn down. John describes the sky rolling up like a scroll, another indicator Christ is returning and God has revealed himself to us. In verse 15, we see the reaction of mankind before God. In verse 15, Then the kings of the earth, the nobles, the generals, the rich, the powerful, and every slave and free person hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. I want to describe a scenario for us to better understand what is going on. Imagine there are several siblings in a family. You may have an oldest, a middle, and a youngest. As siblings, they fight and they quarrel all the time. The older may give orders and boss around the younger two. Uh, The youngest may play the helpless and defenseless card to get what they want. Uh, The middle child usually has no cards to play. Um, If you're a middle child, you understand what I'm talking about. Um, But one day, all all the children are there. They're playing, and a fight breaks out among them. And a valuable vase is knocked over in the house. Then a parent enters the room. Several things happen at this point. The fight or quarrel they had amongst themselves seems to have completely vanished. They have no idea what they were fighting about before at this point. The order of siblings, whether oldest, middle, or youngest, does not matter. And it holds no power or persuasion because they are all found guilty in this situation. The air in which they breathe somehow has escaped the room as the parent makes their presence known. And the kids are gripped by the realization that they are at the mercy of the parent for whatever happens next. Parents... Kids, if your household is anything like mine was, you might be facing judgment several times a month. Um, But I give this example because it's very relatable. I want to take this example and bring it up to a larger scale. In verse 15, we see we have the kings of the earth, we have nobles, generals, 
rich, powerful, slave, and free men. These first five types of men stated all have a vast amount of earthly treasure and power. They rule nations and armies, and they have political power and influence. For these men, virtually nothing gets in their way on earth. But when we see see that on this day, when God reveals himself, he will have our undivided attention. Fallen men will not compare to the holy and righteous God. The first five men rely on this power, but when they go up against God, all has failed them. They are among the free men and the slave hiding in the mountains. They have nothing. There is no distinction between them or the slave who has had nothing his entire life. No power, influence, or protection. Men once of great power and prestige now sit among the common folk, fearing for their lives. In verse 16, they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now, all men, regardless of previous occupations and stature, are fearing for their lives before God. In a cry of desperation, they asked that the mountains and the rocks would fall on them. This says a lot about who God is. One, it tells us it would be better for the side of a mountain to swallow you up and to face God's wrath on that day. And two, it shows just how inescapable God truly is. For what they ask, God only has the power and authority to do, which is to move mountains. For they are his and he owns them. Today, if you are here and you hope and rely on this present life, whether it's your own performance, a job, a government, or any other power on this earth, you will pass away with it. God will judge this earth and no one can escape him. But I want you to know this. Every day that Christ has not returned and the wrath of God is not on us, God is a father of grace. He has not left us to reside in our sins for eternity, but has given us Jesus Christ. Christ took on the wrath of God on the cross. He died and was resurrected, indicating and proclaiming that the penalty of sin is resolved in him. Paul states in Colossians chapter 3, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. When we have faith in Christ, he is in us, and in turn, we are in God. We are not opposed or at odds with him on that day of judgment. Now to those who are saved, who are walking with the Lord, the book of Revelation was written for the church, and I say the church, meaning anyone who is under Christ. The churches in Asia, the first churches, were under severe persecution, and there was very little sign of God's kingdom on the earth at that time. They were facing death, imprisonment, twisted and manipulated gospels, and false religions were trying to evade the church at all angles. In Revelation, Christ is telling the churches, do not waver from your faith, the faith you were first taught, the one true gospel. He encourages them by speaking into their lives. He sees their persecution, affliction, everyday struggles. He also sees their faith at work, resisting sin and the devil, and tells them to persevere in this. The churches are also warned in these letters. Some churches abandoned the love they had at first, which is Christ. Others were allowing 
false prophets to deceive and lead the people into sin. Christ tells them that he will remove their lampstand from them, meaning their salvation. Other churches, he said, he would spit them out of his mouth because they are neither hot nor cold for him, but have turned lukewarm, and that they must repent and return to him if they want any hope of persevering in this life. For us today, the present churches, we are no different. We need words of encouragement and warning. Brothers and sisters across the world face death and imprisonment on a daily basis. Here, we are, not, we are never far from that level of persecution, but we also face something just as deadly, which is twisted and manipulated gospels. Like the first churches, we at times struggle to see God's kingdom here on earth. Everywhere we look, we see nations, governments, and entire groups of people turning away from God, rejecting Him and His chosen, us as Christians. But looking back, our text shows that this is nothing new. All these things are common to man. Revelation reminds us that Christ is speaking into and living with us in our everyday lives. I would encourage you to read the letters written to these churches. Jesus has John write these letters, and they're written in real time. It is though Christ is there, tangibly living among them, attending these churches. He's, he speaks into what they, they're going through. He knows their own sins. He knows their own internal struggles. He knows their own outward levels of persecution going on there. And that same Jesus that we follow and that we give our lives over to him and he resides in us, this is, that is the same Jesus now and today. When you are at work and gender identity is dismantled before you and your heart breaks because you cherish and uphold the identity of Christ, insults and aggressions may be hurled at you. You may suffer by losing a job, a promotion, or peaceful work environment because of this, but Christ is right there. He sees your heartache and affliction. This text is speaking to you in this situation. Jesus knows the love and faith you have for him. And he tells us that I know you, I love you, I see everything that's going on in your life, and I'm asking you to persevere and trust in me and reside in my power and in my salvation. He will continue to guide us through this life. And on the day of judgment, everyone who puts their trust and hope in this world will fall, but those who have been given faith in Christ will stand before the living God. I would like to end tonight with the words of encouragement from Revelation chapter 1. In the beginning of the letter before Christ starts speaking into each individual churches. John tells the church, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the word of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it, because the time is near. Uh, please uh, bow your heads as we close tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, pray that we would just sit here and meditate on your word. Uh, we would see that um, our lives here in this world is temporary. 
and that apart from you, we would all be perishing, but you have given us Jesus Christ um, by your grace, and that as Christians who live in Christ daily, I pray that we would know and understand that you see us, you know us, you are protecting, you are guiding us. I pray that we would not lose heart in, in days of persecution and struggles with sin and anything else going on. And I pray uh, that we would just go forward in your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.